0: Well, we're deep into February. We've had long periods without the sun. The snow is frozen. And there's still a good long way to go before the spring. And life for many is hard. Some of you are working long hours without much pay, doing jobs that you don't enjoy. Some are stressed at work or home. Relationships are going pear-shaped. Or we face sickness, our own or somebody else's. This week I spoke with three people who need urgent medical treatment and are not able to afford it. And for some it's not just hard, it is brutal. Again this week I visited the um, MPC Centre who work with refugees and I've also spoken with other people working with refugees and people who have been trafficked. I've heard of a woman thrown out of an upstairs window because she didn't please the person who had paid for her. I've heard of a grown man breaking down in floods of tears because he finds himself here, having been promised that it was a route into Europe. And now he has no papers, no accommodation, inadequate clothes, and no money. And some of you are working with such people, you're trying to support and help them, and sometimes it gets a bit much. And to make life even worse, we're about to enter Lent. Those who are strict orthodox will go on a rigorous fast. Those of us who are Anglican will probably give up chocolate. (laughs) In times gone by, the fast was not really an option. It was a necessity. The food that had been preserved for winter had run out. And in Lent, we remember both the 40 days that Jesus was in the wilderness when he was tempted by Satan And we follow the journey that he took, denying himself in obedience to God as he walked to the cross. And as we look at the cross, we see humanity at its worst, driven by hatred, greed, lusts, jealousy, fear, cowardice, vengeance. And we see the betrayal, denial, the lies, the mockery, and the utter cruelty. So it is intriguing that just before Lent begins, we have this reading from Mark chapter 9. It's the story of the Transfiguration when the glory of God is seen on and in Jesus. The Transfiguration is a significant event. It's mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John doesn't mention it, which is intriguing, but he doesn't need to because. All the way through his gospel, he is showing us the glorified Jesus. But Peter mentions it in one of the letters that he writes. He says, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honour and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain, it is the only event recorded in the Gospels, apart from Jesus' death and resurrection, that is mentioned in specifically in the New Testament letters. So it must be significant. And the Transfiguration is very important in Orthodox theology as well. The icon of the transfiguration is critical. In many of the festival rows, I don't know whether you're aware, but there are sort of those different rows uh, of, on the iconostasis as you walk into the church. The sort of the first layer is, is the local row. And then you have the, the prayerful row, the deisis row, with Jesus in the center and all the saints uh, and Mary and John the Baptist praying to him. And then often above that you have a festival row depicting the scenes from the life of Jesus. And sometimes the transfiguration doesn't come before the cross. Sometimes the transfiguration is put right at the very end. It is significant. And it's a vision of the future, the transfiguration, when we will be in heaven transfigured as Moses and Elijah are. Here on, uh, I always get my my things right, on your right is Moses. He's holding the book of the law. Uh, And here on your left is is Elijah, Uh, looking again remarkably like John the Baptist. That's uh, not coincidental. Uh, And it speaks of the transcendence of death what unites Moses and Elijah is that neither of them is recorded as dying and they have no tomb their bodies have disappeared we, 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 we heard about Elijah being taken up in that chariot of fire and yet here they are speaking with Jesus about 1000 years or so after they've lived And they're speaking with the one who will rise from the dead, the one whose body cannot be found in the tomb because he is risen. And it speaks of intimacy with Jesus. They're speaking with Jesus. We know what they're talking about because Luke tells us in his account of the transfiguration, they're talking about Jesus' death in Jerusalem. How through his death, people will be set free from the captivity of sin and death. And it hints at future glory, the glory that we will share as we look at the one who is glorious. In the icon, it is really interesting how the light that is falling on Moses and Elijah is the light that comes from Jesus. Transfiguration, again, is what orthodox theology means when it speaks of theosis, of deification. We will see the eternal Son of God as he is, and we will become like him. So what we have here is, is if you like, a glorious burst of sunshine before the long, hard winter Peter, James and John see Jesus glorified before they see Jesus led, abused, beaten and battered to the place of crucifixion. Perhaps some of us here have had our own transfiguration moments, a time when we have encountered his presence, when we've seen the glory of God. I have no authority for what I am about to say. It's not clearly taught in the Bible. But it does seem in my experience that the people who have the most overwhelming and authentic experiences of God, who have those encounters with God, are often those people who have to go through some pretty hard stuff in the future. Think of Paul. People often say, oh, I wish... I wish I could have a conversion experience like Paul. Then I would really know. Yes, think of Paul. He did have a dramatic experience. He saw Jesus. He heard Jesus speaking to him. The light was so bright that he was blinded. But when Ananias goes to see him three days later to pray that his sight will be restored, Jesus speaks to Ananias and tells him That Paul will speak of him to kings, to Gentiles, and to Jews. Wow, we say, yes, God, give me that calling. And then he says, and I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Hmm, maybe not, Lord. I think of Barbara in my previous church, she's an older lady. She was kneeling at the communion rail and she said suddenly Jesus was there. He was standing in front of her. Ten years after she had this experience, she still spoke of it with trembling in her voice. She said he was there. I could reach out and touch his robe. She was overwhelmed by his presence. About three months after she had that experience, her daughter committed suicide. I just wonder whether Jesus, in his mercy, was giving her a transfiguration moment, a moment before the cross, to get her through what she was going to have to go through. Now please don't worry That doesn't mean if you've had a transfiguration moment, you're about to go through hell. But I do know this, that if we have to go there, then whatever lies before you, he will be there. And responding to the transfiguration, Mark tells us quite a bit about how Peter, John and James react to the transfiguration. They are terrified. Most of us become jelly when we stand in the presence of those we consider awesome. Um, this week, um, uh, Pat, myself and uh, uh, Helen uh, went up to the mayoralty and we were suddenly found ourselves uh, with the deputy mayor. And I suddenly thought, help, how do I? You know, it was sort of one of those sort of help, how, how, how am I meant to behave? And, uh, and um, um, But it might be a celebrity, a VIP. might be just a stunningly attractive man or woman. You know, the sort of person who reduces you to absolute gibberish. Well, when Peter, James, and John see a transfigured Jesus speaking with Moses and Elijah, they become jelly. The icon of the transfiguration shows them prostrate. Here is James covering his eyes. Here is John, looking very thoughtful. And here is Peter, who is about to open his mouth and put his foot in it. He speaks, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I love it. Mark Mark adds, he did not know what to say. And since most theologians think that Mark's gospel originated with Peter, that he dictates this to Mark, Peter was effectively telling Mark what to write. You can almost imagine Peter thinking back to this incident and thinking, did I really say that? Oh, no. I mean, let's be honest. Does Jesus shining in glory really need a bracken shelter? Do Moses and Elijah, who have technically been dead for a thousand years, need to, or Moses far more actually, do they need to sit in a bivouac? Of course not. And it makes no difference that what Peter is suggesting is something religious. The word he uses for shelter is the word that is used to describe the simple huts that the people of Israel had to make every year to remember the time when they were wandering in the desert and lived in shelters. So poor Peter, he is terrified. I suspect he feels he has to say something. He opens his mouth and perhaps deep down Peter is thinking, how can I capture this moment? You see, I suspect that a lot of what we do, especially when we're religious, is to attempt to capture those moments when we have met with God. We want God on tap. We think that if we do the right thing in the right way, then God will turn up tomorrow in the same way that he turned up yesterday. Please don't ever think that you can bottle God. It's not Aladdin. He's not the genie in the lantern, and all you need to do is rub the lantern and out he pops. God will come to you in a special way, but he will come to you in that way when he chooses to come. But there is one response that I think is very important in this passage. The voice from heaven says, this is my son, the beloved. Now we've already heard that voice say exactly the same words at Jesus' baptism. The bit that is completely new are the words Listen to him. That's what this is all about. We're being told to listen to Jesus. He's there with Moses, the the giver of the law, with Elijah, the prophet, the symbol of the prophets, the law and the prophets, and yet the voice says, Listen to Jesus. Some of us, may have had transfiguration moments and some of us may not have. It was only James, John and Peter who saw the transfigured Jesus. The other nine and the others with Jesus didn't. Jesus warns them, don't tell the others about the transfiguration until after the resurrection because they won't actually get it. But what is important with Peter, James, and John is not that they hear the voice from the cloud, but what they do with the voice from heaven, whether they did what he told them to. I remember hearing um, about one of the sort of uh, uh, movements uh, uh, of the the Holy Spirit. I think you can say that. It was a very strange movement where people were, were, were being struck by God and people were making strange noises, and people were falling down. And one bishop, somebody went to one bishop and said, isn't this dreadful? And he said, no, he said, I'm not too worried about that. He said, I'm not too worried about how people are going down. What I want to know, he said, is are they any good when they get back up again? Well, here, what is important is that we do what the voice from heaven tells us. We need to listen to Jesus. And as we face the difficulties of life, the winter that just seems to get colder and darker and harder, the sheer hard slog of being a disciple of Jesus, the constant battle against temptation, the ongoing struggles we have with our lack of love and spiritual laziness and jealousy and self-centeredness, and lack of forgiveness and selfishness, as we battle the fear that paralyzes and as some of us face pretty overwhelming situations, it's good to remember that all we have to do, all we need to do, is listen to Jesus. So can I urge you please this Lent, far more important than giving up chocolate or alcohol or even going on a strict fast, to spend time listening to him listening to his word put aside time if you can each day to read some of the bible to ask him to speak to you use the back of our notice sheet to help or use one of the sets of readings on you version i've already put on facebook today uh, some links to one or two places that can help us as we listen to jesus because it's the voice of jesus the eternally beloved Son of God, which will hold us and protect us and guide us and transform us. It is the promise of Jesus that he will always be with us, whether we've had an experience or not, that he will never allow us to go through something that is too much for us to bear, that he will give us his Holy Spirit, that we're forgiven and that he is changing us. That his kingdom will come, that justice will be done, that there will be resurrection. And the one day, like Moses and Elijah, we will see him in glory. And we will be transfigured with his glory. It is the voice of Jesus who gives us hope.